Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, this is Larry Charles. You are listening to the Game Dev Unchained podcast, back for another week with the most amazing co-host that a guy could ask for, Mr. Brandon Fan. What's up? How you guys doing? Welcome to this week's episode. This week, we have Alden. How are you doing, Alden? Alden hey. who? <laughs> Alden. I can't say your last you name. You gotta so say I'm it right. Filione. Filione. Alden Filione. Ladies and gentlemen, Alden Filione. Mr. Alden Filione, if you could give us a 30-second biography about yourself, what would that be? Wow, that's tough. I'm a video game artist. Uh, work uh, predominantly in like environment art. Uh, recently started a company with some buddies. Uh, I'm an art director and co-founder of Fugitive Games. Fugitive We're working games. on Fugitive. What are you guys making? What game are you making? We're, uh, we're making uh, Into the Stars, which is uh, currently in early access right now on Steam. Ooh, check it out, guys. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. You might have seen the Kickstarter video. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you might have seen him in Lost Planet 3. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Alden. where we went. Yes, all three of us worked together on Lost Planet 3. Uh, Brandon and Alden were both environment artists, and I was a level designer. And we hung out, we clicked, we stayed in touch, and here we are bringing you this amazing podcast on what it's like to leave AAA, start your own game, and be successful on Kickstarter. I'm pretty sure a lot of people want to know how to do that. I definitely want to know. <laughs> so, there's, there's not much of a, of a recipe. I know we were kind of talking about it before. It's a, it's a lot of a lot of luck and a lot of hoping. Yeah, that's it's gonna work out the way it's gonna go. I don't know. Do you guys want to, should we go down the route and try to investigate uh, Kickstarter right now? Let, let, I mean, let's go down the list. So take us to when you first had the idea to like, you know what? Screw this job. I'm going to work with my buddies. We're going to start a game. Let's do yeah. this. Wait, how many years uh, have you worked in the industry? Um, I think it's a little bit over a decade now. Decade. I think if, I, if I do the, the numbers right and carry the one. So I, you're, it's over, I think it's over a decade. You're, you're a senior citizen uh, in regards right. to the video game industry. Yeah. You've uh, you've made double time, is what I say, because everybody says that the game industry has an average burnout rate of five years. Five years, so, yeah. Alden, you have successfully achieved double time. Yeah, you stayed a bit too long. <laughs> I feel old. <laughs> so when was this? Uh, I mean, when, when did the desire of doing and breaking off, doing your own thing, when when did that begin? In what year? Well, it was, it was more like an opportunity presented it itself. Like, I, I think like everybody else in this industry, everybody just kind of wants to do their own company. Like, even when you're in school, you kind of make you make business cards. And you're like, yeah, my own company. You know, I can't wait to do my own company. So it's, it's everybody's dream, right? But not everybody, like, either, like, has the balls to do it or the, the know-how to do it or the financials to do it. Like, there's a whole bunch of things. There's balls, financial, and know-how. <laughs> not in that order. Step yeah. one, balls. Step two, finance. All right, guys, pull down your pants. Let's make sure we got enough balls. Yeah. So how how big is uh, Fugitive Games? Like how uh, big is Fugitive Games? 
uh, we're you just guys combined. We're four guys, and we're pretty. Uh, we're into our own field. There's there's not much of like uh, cross pollinating, I guess. You know, like uh, like me, I, I do all the art stuff for for the game, and like Roy's the uh, the main designer, so all his ideas go through. Uh, Ben's the the business guy. He handles all the money and contracts and stuff like that. And then we have Mark. He handles like how the systems are constructed and how the talk, like how the game talks to itself and and talks to everything else. Gotcha. How did you guys uh, all assemble? Like, what attracted to each other? Would you guys just work together? Obviously, uh, well, Roy, we all worked with at uh, at Spark, so he was with us in Lost Planet. And then uh, the other guys I met at, at Dice, we were all uh, working on Battlefield together at Dice. Right. It was it was really a hard move, like to go independent, because as, as soon as I got the job at Dice, I loved it there. Like, it's an awesome company. They treat everybody like really, really great. It's a great uh, atmosphere and everything. I didn't want to leave. Like, there's there's no way I would have left for anything else than like being my own company. It was just one of those opportunities that, that came up. I'm like, holy crap! I get to start on a game that that I want to work on, and and it's my own company. I had to take it, you know. And it was like it's kind of bittersweet because I had just reached like to me like the pinnacle of my career. Like, yeah, I'm a dice. At this is top tier. You know, it's triple A. It's working on an awesome game that. I can actually go to somebody at a party and like, hey, I worked on Battlefield, and there's a chance they'll know what the game is, you know? Yeah. And that's the first time in my life I've gotten there, because I've worked on games all my life, but most of them are like, yeah, what? You know, <laughs> who's yeah. that? You know, like games or stuff like that, you know? It's not general public style, you know? Like, it's not like saying like, yeah, I worked on Madden. Like, everybody knows Madden or Call yeah, of Duty. Yeah. Like, Call of Duty, everybody knows that, you know? Dude, that's been my long-running joke. Like, when I worked at Sledgehammer, I was like, I'm finally at a studio working on a game where I don't have to repeat it. And people were like, what do you mean? I was like, well, what game are you working on, Larry? Yars Revenge. What? Yars Revenge. <laughs> you know, it's like the Atari remake and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, I was working on that game. It's like, oh, what game are you working on? Call of Duty. And then you don't have to say shit else. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You just walk off the stage. <laughs> Oh, it's great. So, like, was it more you guys meeting up over lunch, or you just chatting offside, or like things sparked? Through? I mean, was there a person that just kind of really pushed it, or everyone just agreed? Yeah, well, uh, like Roy and Ben had done some initial pushes to try to see if if we're able to do a company or anything like that. And uh, Roy's one that he was uh, he left Spark when, when Spark was kind of breaking off or whatever, and. He, he was doing a lot of the financial rounds and, and getting friends and family, that type of thing, to start doing, you know, some financials. And, and they, they raised a whole bunch trying to get – or enough for us to get started as a company. We're like, okay, we could survive for a couple months with this mm -hmm. and, and see what happens from there. So it, it was initially Roy that kind of, like, wrangled everything together. And I, I know, like, even the, the name Fugitive kind of started with, with Ben and Roy and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Right. Awesome. So, and like, kind of like what you said, like we, we went out to a lunch and we were just like, hey, you know, and at, at first it was just like, hey, can you do the art for this? And yeah. then I, uh, I kind of, if I want to do the art, I kind of want to be part of the whole thing, you know? Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go all in on this. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, just taking over meeting rooms <laughs> and then <Yes>. hushing <laughs> every time someone comes in. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Because Roy wasn't at Dice, so we, like, right, we just right. went. How long was that span where you the initial idea happened and then you guys finally deciding to to do it? like how long? Um, I think th those guys had just like talked about it over like pizza or something like that, 
for a while, I'd say almost like three or four months, you know, and nothing, nothing became serious until like we all had to talk. I'm like, okay, are we going to do this? We're going to do this. And then that's when everything just kind of started taking, taking shape. And I, and that was really quick. That was within like a month or two type of thing. Like it it just like all happened. Like, okay, you ready? You ready? All right, let's jump. There was kind of like one of those types of deal. So like, uh, go ahead, Larry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) You took a deep breath. (laughs) Anyways. uh, So with the initial like investment that Roy was rounding up from family and friends, like were you guys always planning to work towards a Kickstarter? Like how, how did you guys go about that? Like, did you just study a bunch of other Kickstarter videos and just kind of research on that? Well, we, we saw that like we, we prototyped kind of like some of the stuff for the game and we had some game uh, design docs, stuff like that. So we knew that with the funding that we had at that time, there's no way we could complete the, the entire game. So we're like, okay, if we want to have like uh, a, a soundtrack on it, you know, music, sound effects and, and marketing, you know, any type of money for that, we have to go to a, a second round of financials. Like there's, there's no way that what, what we had was going to give us that, you know, and I think a, a lot of people underestimate how much sound and music and marketing, how much money you have to lot and attention you have to do to that. You know, everybody kind of just saves it to the end. Or they're like, oh, I can kind of do this and that, you know, but there's, there's so much in that mindset that kind of sets the tone for the game. Uh, it, how successful your game is going to be is direct. Like it's 50, 50, like a good game and good marketing. They're, they're, right. hand, they're hand in hand. But I mean, come on, Alvin, this is the age of Facebook. Like all I need to do is just drop like <laughs> a picture on my Facebook that says the game is for sale. Yeah. What's the problem? Right. right? Like that's what you guys did, right? Now the, the, the metrics are crazy because all those all those things have aggregators where like, okay, uh, this marketing campaign ran through Facebook and it targeted people from 20 to age 30 that like to also buy, you know, cards against humanity. Like, like this, like parallax where they kind of make a person for you, kind of like an FBI profile of like, Hey, this, this is so-and-so this is probably what he looks like. They make the same thing towards a marketing profile for you. And essentially, and you kind of like say, okay, this is who my target demographic is. And you can kind of, even geared towards some of the uh, the features of your games kind of evolve into that too. You're like, okay, this is my demographic. Let me uh, see what they like, where they go, you know, what forms they visit and stuff like that. To this day then, uh, what do you think was your most successful marketing campaign? Um, I, I, our initial hit, as soon as we came out and we were like, okay, we're X Dice developers and X like uh, Spark and all, all that stuff that we did. That got us the biggest hit. It was our initial round for uh, Kickstarter. I, and I definitely think that that's like the biggest thing that got us uh, on our Kickstarter was just that that we had worked for Dice before and people knew that we were kind of, we knew what we were doing, you know. We weren't yeah. just like new people on the block, had no clue and couldn't like finish out a game because that's the biggest concern with Kickstarter is like, can these people finish a game, you know. So yeah. you, you had some credentials that were known before you even started to use Kickstarter, right? Yeah, exactly. And then that drove a lot of people. And what that did was it made a lot of the, the news uh, kind of pick us up, uh, like Develop Magazine, IGN. Uh, our biggest was uh, PC, uh, PC Gamer mm. picked us up. And that, that drove like 
five to 10,000 people straight to the, to the site and everybody was just like, boom, boom, boom. We, we like what you guys are doing. We like what you guys are doing. And they've, they've been really helpful throughout this time. They, they pick up some of our articles, you know, here and then. So, well, no, no, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys actually have to reach out to any of these magazines to get these stories? Like who was the initial big pickup and what was the connection that got you that? Or did they find you first? So, so Ben did a lot of the reaching out to, to these guys. And uh, I, I had some uh, some friends at, at Epic that kind of walked me through and talked me through a lot of this stuff, too. Um, it's, it's tough because you could send out like a thousand emails and maybe 10 people will pick up, you know, and it just depends on the beat. I, I was just reading a couple of articles on, on this stuff today, too, uh, oddly enough. So essentially what you need to do is you need to know that you're going to have a, a media beat. Say, okay, like there's a certain part of your game. You're like, okay, we stood up and we're at alpha. Can't wait to show people that. So now you have your media beat. So what you do is you construct a, a full news uh, press release, right? So the best way to go about it is to write it like the person that's going to write it. So all they have to do is basically copy paste what you wrote mm-hmm. and put it into the article because they're getting streams and streams of people just dishing out stuff. And if they see an article that's, you know, it's well-written, it's structured, you include all your images and stuff like that, and they're just literally copying and pasting, you have a better chance of getting onto that media beat at that mm-hmm. point. You know? Gotcha. It's, it's way less work. A lot, of these, a lot of these people, like, they'll have contract people that are editing and writing for their sites. So it, you never know what, what stuff is moving. And, and also, you can't really take it personal. Like, if, if you send out a thousand, peop, a thousand uh, press releases and nobody picks it up, it's not personal. It's just, you just miss that beat, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't, it's like they don't have anything. It's always business. You know, they don't, they don't have anything against you. You have nothing against them. You just catch them on the next round. Like, oh, hey, we, we're doing this now. You know, we, we'd love for you guys to do a piece on this. We love that we did, you know, before and that, that type of thing. It's, it's a constant dance and like you're surfing the whole time, you know, you're just, oh, there's the wave. Oh, okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here. So did you have, uh, you know, you, you guys reached out before the Kickstarter campaign uh, started. Um, did you have any day one commitments where these journalists would reach out to you and like, hey, we're going to do a story on you. And, and you have to talk back and like, hey, all right, uh, can you release your article at, uh, on this date when we launch? Or was there any of that interaction going on? At first, no, we weren't. It It was more like a shock and awe type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. like nobody knew about us. And we're like, okay, we knew that we were down to like midnight pressing the, the button to so yeah. it goes right everywhere. But we did have some for like GDC where we embargoed some, uh, some press and stuff like that. And it, I think it kind of worked against us because it might have been the, the timing. It wasn't GDC. What, when was it? Uh, there was There was another... I think it might have been for for e, around e three. Yeah, we were doing something, and it's just too many games were coming out. We just got you know flooded in, in just the wave. You know, we just went under all, of all that stuff. But you know, it's just, you just keep going. You just like okay, now now check this out. Now check this out. You know, but it was one of those things where we embargoed like maybe five or six news releases, and it. By the time that it hit, like all of our, you know, thunder, which was already out because all these games are just like, hey, check this out, check this out, you know, and then and all the big guys, they can afford to stay steady for like a month or two of press, you know, like the, uh, check out these screenshots. Hey, so and so said this about this game is the same game, but they can keep steady beats because 
they can afford it, right? But for indie people, it's a lot less that you like you're concentrating on making a good game. You know, you don't have time to constantly be like, okay, I'm going to do another beat this week. I'm going to do another beat. Like, you just don't have time to do that. You're you're just working on your game. You know? Yeah, I remember a uh, indie game from a friend of ours who we all worked with that uh, you know was getting some good press but i remember saying to myself like man when am i going to see like new stuff from this game all the articles are using the same images and video to promote this game yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just literally i'm just developing the game and never really thought about the press yeah. one uh just for reference for frame of reference for the listeners like which month did you choose to do the kickstarter that was a lot of uh, talks between us too and that, yeah. that was heavily planned so the, the idea was that we would release in the beginning of January mm-hmm. so that we would get out of these waves. Like we knew, everybody knows in video games, like November's the freaking it month where all the games come mm-hmm. out and everybody's getting ready for the holiday releases too. So that, that like during that time, it's just this huge stream, right? So there's an empty window at the beginning of January where there's just a, a small lull where it's basically like uh, an hour after Thanksgiving. Everybody's just full and just like relaxing and stuff like that. That's that beginning of January is kind of that period where it's like everybody's got a little bit of money because they got some for Christmas, you know, everybody's coming yeah. back from vacations and stuff like that. So everybody's ready to kind of do some purchasing and, and stuff about like their favorite things that they like. So we're like, okay, let's focus on, on that for the Kickstarter. And it just kind of made sense for when we started development. It was, you know, like six months out from then. So it just made sense that we were, we were going to have something visible to show and it was a good time for, for people to, to embrace it too. Now, let me ask you this. What are you guys doing now after Kickstarter, after the magazine articles, what are you doing now to kind of maintain your presence in the market space or excuse me, the marketplace? So it's, and that's, that's tough because we are into that. Even this week, we're just taking screenshots and throwing them to different, uh, smaller like a uh, magazine places that are out there especially because we have such a niche game like it's a it not only is it a space sim but it's kind of rogue light type of game so it's it's very niche so the audience has to be very geared towards a certain thing or else the media beat will just be wasted on like a widespread or whatever so right now we're just reaching out to smaller magazines a little bit uh more personalized and stuff like that mm-hmm updating uh ben does a lot of the, the stuff for us where he does a lot of our, our community stuff and talks to to people and reaching out and stuff so he's reaching out to these companies uh, fortunately we signed on with iceberg so there's some marketing budget for us you know it's it's not huge or large but it's it's better than zero okay. so it's good <laughs> but better than so, zero means you're already marketing better than 90 percent of the other indie games out there yeah yeah I mean, they're they're really great. Like that, it's it's good because they're uh, Iceberg's a like a European uh, publisher. So we don't have any European connections at all, right? And we yeah. want to have like an international release and stuff like that. So they 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 handle all that stuff, and they're doing awesome with with all that. And we have like a, an American uh, advertisement team here that does like s- some stuff. But we we have to be very calculated because we don't have any money. And when we do a media beat, it's got to be a big one. And it's, it's got to be one that counts. Like, we got to have, like, all this cool stuff in there so, like, it's, like, clickbait for anybody that wants to pick it up, you know? Yeah. Do you find yourselves uh, discovering new things that are working really well or, or beyond uh, 
I guess what your expectancy was for the marketing campaign. Like, oh, wow, you know, we went to UK and we threw out an ad and, you know, we saw way better, you know, results than we thought. Nah, I think that the biggest right now, I think, is like sales. Mm-hmm. Like if if we do a sale on like a 30, like 20 percent off, 15 percent off, that always drives a bunch of people. That always drives a lot of purchases and stuff like that. Gotcha. So discounted pre-purchases. Yeah, and a, a lot of indie games will do that. They'll do calculated sales, knowing like, okay, I'm gonna hop onto the like Halloween sale or the Thanksgiving sale that Steam has or what, whatever. That they'll they'll put that into their plan, knowing those beats are gonna are gonna come there. And you'll see steady streams of people like purchasing because I mean I've wasted so many like so much money on those Steam sales. Like just personally, I mean as soon as they come on, I buy like five or six games, mm-hmm. a couple. Of, never even play i'm just like yeah. get it i want to get it <laughs> i'll never get it at this price again exactly yeah i need all 30 of them yeah for three dollars yeah i think we're all guilty of that dude yeah. my steam sale like if i were to show you guys how many games i own and then you were to do like the played for each game it'd be so <laughs> embarrassing yeah that's so true dude steam sales get you every time and they know it too I don't even want to make a game. You know what? I, I want to make an icon <laughs> that you can buy <laughs> during a Steam sale. <laughs> yeah, that's really what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. I'll be rich. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of theories on, like, how much you, you put a game on, on sale for, even, like, how much do you sell your game to, to get a profit. Like, some people will, will go through, and this is just, like, me, like, studying other people's campaigns and stuff like that. Some people will go through release and not see that many sales on their game. Like, they, they just they release their game, five or six months hit, and their f- first sale goes through, and they make back all their money that they put into the game. Damn. Just off of that first sale. Like, so you, you just never know. Like, I wish there was, like, this this crazy recipe of, like, here's the, the success thing, but everybody's so different you never know when the market's ready for your game what what they needed to hear to adopt to your game you know that that's just like a, a weird little wave that you kind of have to ride every day and adjust to it hmm. so do you think uh is it mostly a combination of steam sales and just the right timing where people are kind of you know uh, attracted to your particular genre of, uh, at a certain time or do you feel like if someone has a game and we can aim it at those holiday sales as part of like the initial push. I mean, what what kind of strategies would you recommend as far as if I wanted to release something on Steam? I definitely make sure that you're like a couple months away from a sale, so you see, so you can have some comparison on how much your game sells like without a sale, and then when it does, just so you can start ga- gathering metrics for that type of stuff. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean. I would say we didn't plan any of that stuff. It's just like everything that I'm telling you is just the stuff that's happened to yeah. us. It's more of like my observation of what's happened and like stuff that I've read for other people that's happening. I wish we we planned some of the stuff and it came out that way, but it's just like, let's do it. Let's jump off the deep end, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the way that happened to us. And it was just like we released, you know, in, in July for early access and we're still in early access and then we just we had an, an October sale, and it, it did really well during the sale. It was really cool. It's it cool seeing new people on the forums and and how they're liking the game and reviewing the game and stuff like that. That that's always like really cool to see. 
what are the like the main things that you you're staying connected with your community? Is it through forums or Facebook so the, social network? So when you go through early access, it's kind of like this agreement that you have with with the public or the the, the purchaser of you know the, they're gonna have hands on with the game and they're gonna have direct input, you know, and it's awesome. Like it's it's a really cool experience. That, like I'm happy that we're doing it. So it's, it, we've grown the game like it's it's double the game that it, that we ever planned it was going to be because of user interaction. How people are like, hey, it'd be cool if this happened, you know, or, or you know, this is this is kind of lame when this happens. Why don't you try this? And and we hear them. We we always adapt to it. And we see like, okay, what this user is you know missing or what they want is is X. And we can provide why based on our schedule and how our game's structured. Because as much as we want to listen to the public, we can't just be like, okay, we want to put all this stuff in because just we don't, we don't have the time, budget, or any of that type of stuff. So we kind of have to wrestle with like, okay, this is kind of what they're going for with, with their idea. How can we incorporate that with our time frame, with, with our resources? You know, how, how can we get the best of both worlds out of that? Mm. That's, a I like, That's a good point. That's a good point. I like how Steam Early Access kind of roots out all the noise, all the people that would just be haters, but like give you like the quality audience that would really dedicate themselves to to make your game better, giving you like good feedback and all this stuff. Because to, for them to pay early and to be committed in the investment is is like it, it kind of comes back to to helping you in in, in a Big serious time. way. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's, I, I, and I. Like a lot of people kind of see it as bad too, because they're like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a beta tester for this type of, of game or whatever. But they're really helping evolve the game. Like they're they're making the product better for everybody. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's it's pretty awesome. And you still get the the haters and the noise and stuff like that. That that's still there. But the people that are that are like really active on there are people that want to help and and. And we respect them, so we're very active on the forums too. Just to you know, let them know, like you know, we're glad that you guys like our product, and you guys we're listening. You know, basically. Mm. Now, do you feel like that's been a gift and a curse? Because I, I wonder, you know, if you're listening to the audience and actually responding and developing features for your game just based on their feedback, it could you know eat up time and eat up resources. You know, uh, or sacrifice your own vision too. Yeah. Like, how much of that balance are you are you putting in there? That's very true. That's like that. That's one of the things that we kind of we know the core of the game, and we don't want to budge too far away from that core. We don't want to sacrifice that. Like we knew we were going to make a pretty hardcore game, but a lot of people like uh, something that like FTL did for for their game. Like they released they released a pretty hardcore game, but then the public's like, I just want to fly around. I want people to chase me, right? So after a couple, you know months they, they integrated that stuff in there you know and the same's happening with us like we, we have a similar mechanic where people chase you and the public's like we just want to fly around it's like all right give them flying around and even though that's not like part of the game we can easily do that and put it into the game and they still want that that part of it you're like okay let's do it let's give it to them you know Dude. they they bought the game that it's their voice you know it's that, it's that type of thing Enjoy yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. So you're just balancing, like, how much time do, can we really spend? You're, you're, you're dedicating time ahead of time so that you're not spending too much on a future that you guys didn't originally 
intent. Yeah, so it's, it's totally stuff that could, that's attainable. Like we, it's 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 very calculated. Like we we chat on Skype every day. We have dailies like like ten o'clock in the morning. We're like, okay, I'm working on this. I'm working on this, and and we'll also meet because we're a virtual company. Basically, we're all let's, remote. There's let's no. Let's talk online. about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I I believe the future of game development is through online. Like. Big time. I, I completely agree. We're artists that sit on our ass anyways. Yeah. <laughs> With headphones on. We're like recluses anyways. So. Yeah, yeah. So we might be sitting in a company of 250 people, but there's really two people that I talked to for two years. Right? So like, did you, I'm sure you've always desired this type of lifestyle that you're, you're living right now, right? Kind of yeah. working your own time working on stuff that is essential and you know it's meaningful and you see direct results. Like how, yeah. how has that been? How has that transition been from an office to your home? It, it took a while to kind of let it sink in because yeah. you, you try to get pretty like anal with your time. Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to get up at this time and I'm going to work here, 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 you know, and you're like that for the, for the first like five or six months. But then you start getting into your, your groove of like, okay, I'm parts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, the cards happen, <laughs> and then all these Netflix shows happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we're creative people, right? So right, right. it's not like we have this this on button of like when all the stuff's gonna be like right. I'm super creative now. I'm just gonna flip the switch, you know. So the cool part about working from home is like suppose I wake up and from like ten to one, I'm drawing blanks. Everything I'm put everything I'm putting on the screen is just like crap, just pure crap, and I'm hating life, you know. Well, that's like my everyday. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about me or talking about you? <laughs> but you know, like this, this is how it goes. Like you'll have those days where it's just like full on everything you touch. You're just like, holy shit, I'm just making everything worse. I'm rubbing crap on the screen right now. You know, <laughs> you, you, just, you just have those days. The cool part of working like home, like that can happen during the day. I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it. I can come back because my living room is right here. Eight o'clock at night. I'm like, boom. It came to me, and I'll just work, you know, through that because it's it's my passion at that point in time. It's not like a crunch where somebody's like making me come in at eight o'clock or something like yeah. that. It's just like an idea hit me. I think it's gonna work. And I just get on the machine and do it. You know, I I think the game benefits from that that flow that yeah. you give the creative this natural flow. You know, which it's it's hard to achieve at, at a company where you're like mandating and having all these schedules and all this crap. You know. You, you can't really do that. You're not going to get the most out of your creatives that way, you know? I imagine, you know, just from working from home, there's a lot of time in the day that we can cut just for the preparation and transportation of getting to the job, right? Oh, man. Sure. Man. Definitely. You could yeah. get that time back in, in productivity, even if half of that time, you know, was devoted towards working. Not know, just that. like You're the, still it, working less. In addition, you got to act like you like your colleagues. You got to <laughs> You gotta act like you're paying attention to your manager while he's doing your one-on-ones. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously though, like the ball fondling, you know. Yeah. So, Alden, you work from home. Um, you don't have a commute to work. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to get up early and prepare your outfit, comb your hair, and make yourself presentable head to toe, right? You're saying I do it. I do it out of sanity's sake. Sure. I, I fear I fear what would happen if I didn't do it. <laughs> the listeners can't see you right now, but you look terrible. <laughs> I got my curlers in. Hold on. <laughs> 
But no, like, you know, take take those things out. Now, I'm not suggesting that people just give up on hygiene. But I'm saying <laughs> if you wanted to, you could literally just crawl out of bed, get a cup of coffee, and in your boxers and wife beaters, start working on your project. It's true. It's true. It's very true. And it's very comfortable. <laughs> and you've already you've already cut out like a good hour and a half of your day right there. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Well, with all this free time, have you like, you know, been able to pick up things that you wanted to before, like things that you put on hold for your career? Have you been discovering any of that or has it just been just crunching this first one? Um, I actually started working on my own game. Like, two, yeah, just. <laughs> yeah, it's just I've always wanted to get my idea like, uh, like I wanted to make a, a like a license, a universe that people kind of. Yeah get into you know that type of thing like i'm a old school 80s cartoon type of guy where i i just always wanted to make that i wanted to make the next thundercats the next silverhawks that type yeah. of thing and it's just been a lifelong dream so now that i'm working on my own game uh or my with fugitive i can do my own game kind of based off lessons learned that i'm doing you know here and there that type of thing Wait, you're touching sorry, on a I'm bit sorry. What you mean you're you're making another game outside of the game that you're making outside yeah you're yeah. so you're so indie that you're making a game while you're making a game <laughs> you're making a game within a game it's so deep you're touching on a very good point like like Larry and I have been talking about like how how important it is to always start building up that secondary income especially in our industry so yeah. you know the usual case would always be triple A and then doing something else on the side you're doing something else on the side on top of doing something else on the side. And I think that's like a very smart thing. And purely it's out of passion too, right? You really it love is. doing it. You're growing, yeah. you're learning, and it's just going to always come back to benefit you in every single way, especially this, this is the route you're going. Dude, revenue they, they streams lead to revenue rivers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. They feed into each other. Like everything that I learned working on like my own game, I – are there aspects that I can bring into into the stars and and back and forth because it means the same things. It's, I'm using Unreal Four for for everything, you know. So there's a lot of lessons learned. So I'm constantly learning and feeding to each you know each one of them, which which is really good. And and you're right about like getting another revenue stream because our industry is so volatile. You never know when like you when you're gonna lose your job when you you know when they're gonna have another round of layoffs or all this stuff, you know and Nobody wants to move back home with their folks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Alden might be in a situation where he has to lay himself off. Yes. <laughs> and he still has to. <laughs> Type out that email and send it right to yourself. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> oh, man. So you, so you guys are all based in LA, but just living in different neighborhoods, kind of thing. Yeah, we're like twenty minutes away from each other. Basically, everybody's like in Santa Monica, Venice, that that area. Still too far away. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I got to talk to you online. Stop calling. <laughs> so, do you guys have scheduled? I'm, I'm guessing weekly meetings, dedicated meetings, or is it just things when things pop up? You guys just talk to each other. And every day we're on, we're on the line. Like it's basically our day starts at, at ten o'clock. We'll have a, a daily meeting. Just say, hey, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. I did this yesterday. That's the same kind of. It's kind of like a scrum stand up. We're like, I did this yesterday. I'm doing this today. That type of shit. You know, it's it's, it's the same thing. It, it works. <laughs> it's more like a squat. 
in my underwear. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm doing today and right now. <laughs> Later. That's great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, living the dream, living the dream. So if you had the chance to go back to Dice right now, and maybe you can't answer this, but I'm just going to ask you the tough questions anyway. Given nope. what you're going through with your own company and the opportunity that you had at Dice, which one would you choose and why? Right now? Right now, like right this moment. This opportunity is amazing. Like e- even working, knowing what I know now, like I'd still choose this because, I, and this is something I, I think I was telling you before, Larry, like I feel like I'm working on full cylinders now. I felt like my whole entire career, yeah. somebody took out a couple spark plugs off my engine and I was running at lower cylinders. I didn't realize it until I started working on my own game where Hey, I want to try this. All right, go ahead and try it. I don't have to talk to 30 people, sell them on the idea that I want to turn this milk crate red. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to sell anybody on concepts, but, like, you try it out, and you're like, hey, does this look cool? And they're like, oh, yeah, it looks cool. Or, no, that didn't work, or whatever. Like, you can just try it and do it. You, you don't what? have that system, you know? What? <laughs> you mean you didn't like that cubicle they gave you? With yeah. the little name tag on the side? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like everything you're doing, you're pretty much investing in yourself. Like you fuck up, you're on your own terms. Like there's no one else uh, that will tell you uh, something all of a sudden that it didn't work out. Like you know what you're doing and you're learning from your mistakes. And that's just something not visible at at a bigger company. It's like you're the last to know. Hell, you even get to try your ideas. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know how Google and all those companies have those, like, small incubators where they're like, okay, you'll do what your idea this week or whatever, and you can get other people. It's, it's that, essentially. It's a, a living version of that. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine what it would be like to work with top-level professionals in my industry for, like, a week and just say, hey, we're working on this idea, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. But, like, really working on it, though, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just grabbing resources from any department. I'm using the company's resources as if they were my own and putting together these little, you know, skunk works teams often. I'm not talking about like once a year. I'm talking like it's part of our company culture to spend one yeah. Friday a month pushing these ideas forward. Yeah. And you notice all the bigger companies have those types of things. Like Valve does that. Google does. There's a lot of, lot of the bigger ones do it because they know how smart it is to let creatives be creative. All Bad, the companies yeah. that are printing money right now <laughs> are, <laughs> are investing yeah. in allowing their creatives to yeah. be creative. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a lot to... I mean, most AAA developers or any developers that are bored of their job is because they feel unsatisfied. They feel restricted. They feel limited. So if yeah. you create these incubators or little groups that lets them do whatever they want with no restrictions, with no penalty, right? It, it, it kind of yeah. satisfies, it gives them that, that steady income that they've always wanted. And then they come to work doing whatever they want. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, it's like, uh, I'm going to get Bruce Lee on you guys. <laughs> if you take your hands and you, yeah. and, you cr- and you clasp it together in a bowl and you're holding water, water, a vital resource, those are your developers, right? If you want to keep water in your hands, you know what you do? Nothing. You let the water rest. You let it be comfortable. And mm. the water will stay in your hands. 
As soon as you start to try to squeeze and constrict that water, the water does everything it can to get in between the cracks of your fingers and escape. (laughs) It's true. It's very true. Yeah. For the listeners that didn't see it, Larry was just rubbing his chest the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be like water, man. That's a lot of baby I didn't know they completely true. Larry, why is your shirt off when you're making metaphors? <laughs> Makes me think better. That's great, yeah. All right, so I want to jump back on Kickstarter for a moment. Mr. Alden Filion, you have a very successful Kickstarter. You got more than you asked for. My question is, when you were setting the initial amount, what go. kind of thoughts went through your mind on, is this number too high? Is it too low? Is it what we need? Do we think we're going to get it? Should we ask for more just to make a bonus? You know what I mean? Like, what's kind of your strategy going into the initial number that you guys picked for your Kickstarter? Or even you came in low thinking that it will go high or to a point where you feel comfortable. That, that number actually was just how much it was going to cost us to have a soundtrack and, and, and sound effects. In right. our game, like, that was the actual dollar wow. amount for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and, you and, might be and, the most honest that? Kickstarter and, campaign. And I, I really do think so, and a lot of people like called bullshit on us and all this stuff. Like, how are you going to make a game and all this stuff? They were talking like, this is seriously like we could show a receipt. Like, yeah. this is how much this costs for this. Like, it, it wasn't like we were asking for any of this crazy stuff. Just because your whole video right there, just holding up the receipt. Yeah, yeah this is what we need. <laughs> but like, that's a thing. That's like, what, what's the biggest argument on Kickstarter right now? There's a lot of fake indie, like the triple. What do they call the AAA guys that go on Kickstarter? There's a term for that. But pretty much these companies like go on Kickstarter to get their their money's worth, and they're kind of like inflating. What a Kickstarter campaign like uh, would be the, the audience, the people that invest, think making a game for like ten thousand dollars is realistic for a year or something, based yeah. on crazy. So like, you have you have a big a big AAA company that has already developed like this game, yeah, and already has assets and things ready to go, is essentially using Kickstarter more as a marketing platform and a proving grounds than it is a, a fund of this project platform. So they go into it with like an 80% complete project and they're just seeing you know what kind of investment returns they can get by testing it through Kickstarter. And so they're like, oh, you know, $25,000 will get us you know, this new yeah. game. And so yeah. the audience is like, wow, this game only is going to cost $25,000. And they have 200 <laughs> people on it. That's amazing. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck, Eldon? <laughs> <laughs> We had four people. <laughs> and one of those people wasn't even a developer. I mean, what, what are, did it affect you guys in any way? Like, how, what are your views on that? Like, for future Kickstarter uh, hopies uh, on wanting to, to do their own. But right now, it's just so, it's kind of crazy. And it's a crazy uh, time for Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter is losing a, a middle ground. Like, yeah. right now, they're doing, like, you got to be crazy Shenmue guy and get like $6 million on day one yeah. or, you know, you can be $10,000, uh, you know, little indie game. But the the, the middle part, it's, just, it's losing out because of, of those two extremes that are there for each other. Like, I don't think that you can do a successful $200, $300, like 300000 campaign nowadays. It's, it's tough. Like, you really gotta have a stellar game. You gotta have, a, like, budget's gotta be on point. 
and marketing, you can just gotta market it everywhere. It's, it, I think Kickstarter is getting really rough right now. Really, really rough. I think people have been burnt too. There's a lot of projects that people just bail out of the project. Right. They get funding and they bail on project too, and that that kind of sucks. Like all the negative parts that that happen to Kickstarter affects the whole community. Mm-hmm. You know. Was yeah. there something? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. You get the people who go to Kickstarter with no respect for the community, no respect for the platform. Their whole strategy is to just cut and run. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I was talking to somebody about this. I forget who it was, but I was saying it would be great if, you know, for these huge projects, we're talking like $2 million, $3 million projects. Somehow Kickstarter can put in like a milestone program, right? So like, Mm -hmm. sure, you need all this money and you're expecting it's going to take you this time to make the game. So we're going to break up your payments into these equal installments that you have to kind of make your thing, show us you've made the thing, we give mm-hmm. you the milestone payment, make the thing better, show us you've made it better, you get the milestone payment. So at least there's some sort of accountability in place. Because you get somebody who's like, what? $3 million transferred to our bank account, bitch, yeah. done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> at least yeah. now with a project. Put yourself as a developer, though. Like, if, if you were that developer... Who would you listen to that to say like, okay, this this milestone wasn't good enough? Like, how would you feel if somebody said that to you? You'd be like, what? Oh no! <laughs> don't, get me, don't get me wrong. Kickstarter doesn't necessarily they don't become your publisher, right? Like, they don't have the same expectations yeah. that a publisher would. But essentially, they're just looking for some sort of quantifiable gains that they can compare. Like, okay, they're legitimately continuing to make this game. You know, here's more money. Instead of yeah. here's all the money, please don't screw everybody. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a tricky balance because Kickstarter is trying to like, you know, no restriction, no policing, and I feel like if they put any type of policing, suddenly their their whole I- I- ideology of the website is going to fall apart. I mean, it is a balance though. It really just is recently, no policing. Enough. Recently, they just got their nonprofit. Mm-hmm. License yeah. that they operate under like a, a nonprofit, which means that they're now open to like people can sue if mm-hmm. they've been screwed over on a campaign and stuff like that. Like right. it's easier for them to 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 go that route or get a refund or and that type of stuff. Right. And that, and that was pretty. I would say within the last month is when they got like their their nonprofit. Yeah, I, I read about that. I mean, that's good. I mean, they're make they're understanding their it's biggest. Vital. Yeah, it's vital. They're understanding the gaming community is huge on their platform. And yeah. They understand the concerns, so they're making smart moves. Yeah, I yeah. think gaming has brought them their biggest numbers, right? Like, it feels like it. Have yeah. any of the Kickstarters that were non-gaming reached like $8 million? Yeah. Not much. Yeah, there, there's other stuff. Just I think still electronics or something like that. Like sure. that, that type of stuff does. Okay, no worries, no worries. I'm gonna say yes. But why? Why is, it, why is it that the guys who want to make games are the cut runners? You know what I mean? Like, why can't it be yeah, the people? Yeah. Hey, I've made a wallet out of like lamb's fur, and it's the thinnest wallet you can get. I'm just gonna say the designers, uh, <laughs> because based on our industry, it's always the designers' fault if it fails. Oh man, don't be yeah, like I, that. Well, I can't. I can't see an artist bailing. They they, they have too much love for the like what what they're doing. You know. They're, they would make it even if they didn't have the money. Well, you you act like designers don't feel that way. Well, let's say it like this, right? All right. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ganged up on here. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, most games that do fail, right? The art is tight. Period. No. Come on. No. 
There's no you, game that looks don't, that bad. Don't, don't just take your side because it's your side. Let's be professional. Let's take <laughs> take our positions out of it. Right. I take might your roles out of it. You can't just I be might like, throw numbers because it's ninety nine percent. Oh, whatever. <laughs> all right, all right. You, you can't just be like most no. games that fail. The art is tight. It's the designer's <laughs> fault. <laughs> Let's just say bad people just cut and run no it's, it's bad decision making on the whole let's say the art is incredible but maybe it's taking longer for the art to get made than they projected and only 60 percent of the art is done when 100 yeah. percent needs to be done so now they need an additional 40 yeah. percent of budget that they don't have you know for art i gotta feel like at some point like that the person that cut and run kind of had that idea in mind like they don't do it yeah it's like how early did they cut and run is my question yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much update number one thanks everyone we kickstarted yeah. it's successful <laughs> update number two we're yeah. having our launch party in hawaii thank you yeah. so much all right we're starting the game <laughs> update number three <laughs> and then it's like update number three Due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, yeah. we've decided to shut down the project. Thank yeah. you for your support. Yeah. <laughs> That's from the thing, there's, there's some people that knew that they were going to cut and run. Then there's other people that just weren't aware how much it takes to make a video game. Yeah. And they're just those, those people just – there's a lot of them. There's some in our industry working at, at big studios that they're just not closers, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you know there's – we all know this. That there's different right. People that work at a studio, and then they have your closers. And closing a game is tough. Like that, that last five or ten percent of a game—that's the toughest part of the game that you could possibly have. And not everybody's cut for it, you know. Mm -hmm. It's that last ten percent. It's tough, man. Not everybody's—that's that's what makes or break people in a, at a game studio, man. Is that last little bit. So yeah. real quick before we go to commercial break, because we are 45 minutes in, a little bit past, uh, what would you say was the hardest part about getting your game to where it is today? What was like the, the one thing that you were like, damn, this is probably the toughest thing I had to overcome as an indie? Uh, like me personally, I've never done space or like effects or anything like that ever before. So I had to do, like I bought a whole bunch of space games. It was, never really was my my key genre that i loved or anything like that I, I appreciated the games i just never bought so i just i bought everything that was out and i just sat there and like looked at little corners for like hours i'm like oh they're doing this they're doing this and i kind of came up with like my own way of doing space or whatever that i think that that took me probably the most time because i i just never done anything like that before in my career it definitely paid off man because the game looks yeah. great by the way it's amazing man. thanks man thank you thank you all right, well, I can see uh, the manager tapping on the glass. We got to pay some bills. All right, hold on one second. Uh, we'll be right back with more Game Dev Unchained podcast featuring Mr. Alden Fillion, the art director of Fugitive Games. We have concept artist Brian Yen, who's put together a wonderful tutorial teaching you how to get started in concept art for video games. Brian Yam has worked for Naughty Dog, Image Movers Digital, and currently works for Amazon Game Studios as concept artist. With this 40-minute video, you'll learn everything from creating a thumbnail, creating an environment background with quick sketches. Check out Brian Yam's tutorial today at www.gameschoolonline.com forward slash Brian Yam. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome back. This is Game Dev Unchained, the podcast, and we have a special guest today, Alden Fillion. Let us bring it home for the last segment, all right? You still there? Yo, yo. You not asleep? Brooklyn. <laughs> 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 Uh, can you poke Brandon? Is he up? I'm up, man. All right, cool. 
nice and curt. All right, so Alvin, I've got a question for you I've been waiting to ask. You've been through the successful Kickstarter, but can you identify one thing that you now know that you guys have did wrong or couldn't, you might have done a little better, knowing what you know now? Is there something that you can call out as a, ah, we kind of dropped the ball on that one thing? Like, might do that differently next time. Um, me, personally, I would have done a lot more like supporting art and maybe videos throughout the campaign itself because I was, I mean, honestly, pretty burned out. I, I crunched really hard all December just trying to get the game itself to, to look right. Like, if you saw a build of the game uh, end of November and then through our Kickstarter campaign, it's a, whole, a completely different thing altogether. Like, I just, I rushed and duct taped all this stuff to have something, like, clearly presentable that we can show people, like, this is kind of our target that we want to have for this game, you know? So I, I was just burnt. Like as soon as our, our uh, Kickstarter campaign hit, I was just like, "All right, relax mode," you know. But I I wish I would have had a little bit more steam in me to do some some of those Kickstarter updates that a lot of people do throughout the like because you get those thirty days, and you know every couple of days that you're supposed to like have this really nice little entry, like, "Hey, you know, thanks for what this step, you know, here's some stuff that we're working on." Blah blah. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I would have supported some of that stuff throughout the campaign. I was just I was just too gone. Mm-hmm. I was too burnt. Gotcha. Uh, next question. Was there any one specific type of media or type of, uh, I guess you could say, outreach that overwhelmingly worked the most as far as your engagement? Was it emails, which usually is pretty low these days? Was it tweeting? Was it Facebook messaging? Was it YouTube videos? Where would you say most of your engagement came from? Yeah, and that's um, like... You kind of mentioned the publication, too. What were your biggest... You were talking about IGN. Like, were, were those types... Like the biggest P- PC, Gamer. PC Gamer was our, our biggest. Gamer. Yeah, that, that was huge just because it, it's our demographic. It's and it's like the, it's our type of like their type of game type of thing. Um, that was probably the, the biggest one. I know like we went on IGN and they like hosted our, our release trailer and all that stuff. And we game trailers got us too. It was. Yeah, it was just a, a lot of those bigger magazines getting us. Something like, uh, you know, traffic in the thousands, which was good. Nice. How are you guys keeping track of all the, uh, you know, the engagements? Google Analytics? Uh, we, we did have that, but no, it was just, I think Kickstarter has some ana- analytics and they're, they're okay. I think we were just checking up on that. Were you just relying on those data to to, uh, to reach out even further? Did, I, there, there's the... Another thing that I was reading about, like, sorry, uh, for the Kickstarter stuff, like, they would actually reach out to specific uh, people that donated uh, or invested into the company. Did you guys do any of that where you did a follow-up on on the customers after the campaign? Ben, ben was one running a lot of that stuff. I, I think he did reach out to a lot of people. Uh, I think he also, we ran a couple of, like, contests throughout the thing where Every ten, I think it was it might have been every ten thousand person or a thousand person got like a, a free upgrade to the next tier mm-hmm. on their purchase and stuff. So like that was really good. It was kind of engaging the community throughout the Kickstarter process, which is pretty good. And 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 that's all like it's good because what you're offering is digital goods. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt you, but it benefits the the you know the, the customer you know a lot you know. 
And what was the the range on contributions? If you can if you can nail that, like what was the low range, the high range, the average that you felt like people were contributing? Are you able to reveal that? <laughs> no, I, I don't fully know. I, I would say it, it must have been the, the twenty or thirty dollar, just like the, the people that were just buying the game and stuff. Right. We had a lot of people that were up, you know, up in the hundreds and almost in the thousands and stuff like that. That that did that did help us out like tons. Did and you have? Sorry, go ahead. What, what's crazy is the most verbal people yeah. are always the ones that contribute the least. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> which is, I mean, it, it it's fine because, I mean, they're, they're buying a product, you know, nobody wants to get, you know, a bad product, so it, I, it doesn't affect me, but it's just it, it's just one of those things where you're just like, okay, this guy donated a thousand, you donated fifteen dollars, cool. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put you at the bottom. <laughs> well, you had like, this, like a couple that at the high end, did you have incentives that was very... Uh, what were your incentives at the thousands in the ball? Um, they get to like design and encounter. Like a, a lot of the encounters in our game are like these these uh, written missions that are kind of like a, a Star Trek episode condensed in a couple paragraphs. So you kind of interact with the planet and stuff like that. So the the bigger tiers, they got to like name a planet after them, uh, do design a mission and stuff that you would find in a planet and stuff like that. So that. They actually got to be. They get to be part of the box products. Like everybody, nice. like their planet, like their mission. Everybody will go through that and stuff. That's cool. And, and the, the bigger tiers got their pick their portraits in there, in the game. So you get to actually be them in, yeah. in the game. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so did that come from studying other campaigns? Like, did you guys look at their their offerings and felt like uh, you know the bigger incentive, the more people would actually go. So that route, or is it just something you guys? It was more. It was more geared towards like what worked in our game, what made sense in our game, because our like our games like you you are the captain basically. So be like having a, your portrait as a captain and seeing him in game like that that really worked for us for the right. product. Awesome. <laughs> Good. I, I, can, I can edit out the dead air. No big deal. <laughs> oh. What's your favorite food? Sushi. <laughs> 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 Alan likes that raw fish. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Alan. If you were to do this all again, would you? If you had the option, not the same thing, but like you know, do another Kickstarter for an indie game with the same team, like it starts to. Is this the start of you know a new career for you in independent game development, or are you going to pursue other options? What are you thinking? I do hope to stay in this space as as long as I can. Like. Our our industry's fickle, so I I don't want to be like okay, this is where I'm going to be at, and that's it. Like you never know where the wind changes tomorrow. You know, mm -hmm. I'd love to stay here. I I feel really comfortable. Uh, I finally feel like I have value. Kind of like some of the stuff that we were talking about before. Like it, I I can actually I feel accomplished. You know, from it, which is something I I didn't get to this degree at, at other companies. Yeah, you're you're at the forefront. You're doing your, your your thing. People are watching. People are appreciating. People know you by name. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> Art director on the business card, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even notice or think about any of that stuff at all. Like, it doesn't even appear to me. But you have creative like, freedom that you never had before. I mean, that's hard to, to ever let go. Yeah, it's true. 
Do you find the working relationship in a flat hierarchy easier or harder to deal with? Oof. What, funny enough, though, uh, Dice had a, a flat hierarchy. Like there was no like clear like one person's directing anything like that. So it was it was just kind of how we were working, especially because uh, you know three of us were were at Dice before. Mm-hmm. We kind of had that that flat mentality anyway, so it wasn't that that hard of an, an adjustment, you know. And it, it's still like a democracy, even though like. Like right now, I'm the only artist at Future. I'm the only one like making like content, like art wise and stuff like that, like Geo and all that stuff. So even though I am the only artist on there, if the three guys are like, "Hey, this kind of sucks," like I gotta listen to that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not gonna sit there and be like, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. It's a democracy, and I want the I want the game to be better. You know, no matter what. So yeah. If three people out, out of four say something's bad, it's usually bad. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. always, yeah, it's always fun to work with friends and any opinion of a friend is always appreciated in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. this, uh, this, this, I guess it's an adage that I kind of made up one day. I was like, I may not be able to wash a car, but I can tell you if it's clean or dirty. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so nice. that kind of applies, I guess. But yeah. it's good to hear an artist, you know, actually, you know, considering the opinion of non-artists. This is brand new experience. Why, why, why are you looking at me like? <laughs> I told you no. So I listened. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy for you, dude. Uh, the game looks amazing. Thanks, man. Thank I, I look you. forward to playing it. I, I love it. Uh, we're at a interesting stage, like, uh, as far as where the game industry is going. It used to be two, three years ago where a friend of a friend is starting to go indie and is somewhat successful. But now, like, I'm looking at my first connections, and they're just killing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're all over the publications online. You know, uh, I think it's starting to, to catch on. Well, we were just talking about this. I just want to reiterate it again. Like, you know, six-year-olds for the last six years, their first consoles were... As in, when I say six-year-olds for the last six years, I mean for the last six years, all the people who were turning six. Yeah. <laughs> their first, <laughs> not one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five. Anyway, yeah. their first consoles were iPhones, you know, iPads. That yeah. was their first gaming experience. And now for the rest of their life, that's where they start in gaming. And most likely, that's going to be like their biggest adoption platform is some sort of, you know, touchscreen handheld device. They they didn't grow up on the Nintendos and the Wii's and the you know, Playstations and all that other stuff. Dreamcast, rip Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, like as far as like console goes, like were you guys always planning to make it a Steam platform and maybe you later convert it to something else, or was it yeah. just Steam all the way? Well, it, it's the easiest, you know, of course, to, to kind of develop for and the the lowest impact. The other companies, like with Sony or Microsoft, you have to court them, you know, and, and have this relationship with them for them to send you kids and stuff like that, yeah. which we're looking into, you know, and it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome to get it onto one of those consoles. It'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. Now, one partnership that is worth mentioning, though, is uh, I saw you guys getting some shout out from Epic and yeah. Unreal. Yeah. What's that all about? <laughs> Not everybody gets that. So, well... I'm friends with a lot of those. I used to be in North Carolina, and there were three video game companies in North Carolina. It was Vicious Cycle, Red Storm, or Epic. 
right? So, and that's the only companies you worked at. And they were kind of close to each other. So we would all go out drinking, hang out, you know, and we all just became really close friends, like people from all three companies and stuff. And a lot of people would bounce around from those companies too, you know, just professionally. Um, yeah, so you just get to know a lot of those guys and, and talk to them and stuff. So as soon as I, I, you know, got onto this company, I was like, hey, we're going to do a Kickstarter. We're using Unreal. We're doing this, this, and this. You know, and they, they really liked what they saw. They're like, oh, this is looking awesome. I can't believe you guys are doing this, you know, type of thing, you know, and they, they just from day one have been like full support. Like any, like I could just have a random question, like, should, should we send this article to IGM, blah, blah, you know, and they'll reply, you know, and, and help us out, like, and strategies. They were a huge, huge part of like strategies of like how to market and stuff like that. Just, and they're, they're just so helpful. You go to the forums, you can talk to them. Everybody's like, they're approachable. They even have like their, their podcast that, you know, they'll send out their email, like email us out, like ask us what you want, you know, what you want to hear about, like where to promote your game, who to talk to, connections and stuff like that. They're a huge resource for that. And I, I definitely encourage people to to use them because they put themselves out there to help people. I, I think more people sh should use that resource, you know. Yeah. What were the biggest takeaways with your relationship with that Like what were the things that they told you? Like, holy crap, you're, you're completely right. Use them. Uh, yes. <laughs> Perfect. A lot of them was just like a like vindication for our ideas being right or wrong. There was more like that was the most valuable thing. Like when we we went out to have a couple beers with some of those guys and and gals, and we told them like, okay, this is gonna be we're gonna come out with eighty thousand for our Kickstarter. Does that does sound high, low, you know? And then we showed them like the trailer and stuff like that. I'm like, no, that's a, that's a good it's a good price point, you know. It's, it's not asking too much, not too little. That type of thing. It's just that little type of advice where you hear like, oh, yeah, you're doing the right thing. That That's really valuable. I, I think that that's kind of like the, the biggest takeaways that I, I got from it. It was never like a, they, they would kind of steer and like, hey, money, try this uh, at this timing and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest things, I think a failure on a lot of the indie development is that they kind of feel like, yeah, I'm on my own now. I'm making the game that I want and not necessarily thinking about the people they're making the game for. Mm. So I think it's great, too. As soon as you, I love the Steam Early Access for that reason. Like, as early as you can, engage the core audience of your, your game. Like, make them somewhat a part of it because you're essentially building it for them. And if they don't like it, then you're just making a game for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get rich buying your own stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean there's, there's, those out, there's outliers that can, but they are outliers. Like, you can't just rely. Like, you're not going to make Minecraft. You know, you can't just think that your game is that. You know, and a lot of people do. They're like, my game's special. You know, mm. I'm, I'm one. I'm, you know, I'm Notch. Well, the thing is, that's a great point because now Notch is Notch, right? Yeah. Notch and is Notch, while, yeah. While developing Minecraft, if you went up to him and was like, man, are you going to buy a $70 million house in Beverly Hills when this game comes out? Do you think he would have, like, taken you seriously? Uh, uh, like, do you think he was thinking, yeah, I'm going to have a $2 billion franchise with this? I'm sure he was like, wow, this game is going to be successful. But, like, I have a hard time believing that he knew that he was going to be that outlier. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm pretty sure even then he knew he would be successful or hoped he was, but there's no way. I, you couldn't get me to believe that he thought he was going to be a billionaire off of that game. But that's the crazy thing. Like He stuck with his vision knowing that anybody that we see 
it, that thing, you're like, what? This is crap. Who, who's going to play this game? But then it became crack. Everybody was fucking playing the game. Like that. It was just that. Did I say crap? No, it was, it was Skype. It was crack, <laughs> crack. <laughs> I didn't say crap. That game is like the champion for designers to save I'm, a few artists. It's so addictive. It's so, like my first, when I first saw a screenshot, I'm like, why are people playing this? Until yeah. you start playing it. Yeah. You're like, I fucking love this game. Yeah, it's yeah. so messed up. <laughs> and the art I saw came. It and I said, why are people playing this? It's the because ugliest you see piece it. of crap. It's, and yeah. it came, came an art form after, you know, they perfected the pixel look and then it starts looking good. It's yeah, not, it's ugly in a beautiful way though. It's got charm. Exactly. It's got exactly. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's completely. like Quasimodo, you know. Yeah, but but as an artist, you're like, where's normal map? Where's the specular? <laughs> like you don't see, you know, because that, that's what you're kind of thinking in your head. Like it's not just that. Like every designer I work now uses that as an example. It's like, who cares about art? It's like motherfucker. <laughs> How dare you? You're not notch. Now I see. Now I see where all these art comments are coming from. You got a team of designers that walks by your desk giving you the side eye every day, wondering yeah. why the hell you're still employed. I get it. Before we head out, I do think that design needs to needs to step up in this generation. Oh damn. I think it's I think it's falling behind. I see I you see a lot of visual like impact that's coming through in this generation yeah. but i've never i i've yet to see the one game that's like yeah this is next gen design and you want to yeah. know why you I, now i will co-sign to that half but i'm not going <laughs> to co-sign to it saying that it's designer's fault i will say this when you're looking at big triple a games yeah. you're looking at people who are desperate to keep the gravy train going yeah, so yeah. the idea Same. of yeah. taking a risk is almost like Hell no. You know what I mean? Yeah, Make yeah. it look prettier because that's something that we can quantify and control as a, like a known, those right? Those, exactly. are, those are risks, though. The, even the visuals, because most of these companies are doing new photo capture, photo scan techniques that have never been done. They don't know what that time frame is going to be. They most of them aren't prepared to handle the data set. Like so, once you start going out and doing like photo scan captures, oh, you're yeah. talking about like terabytes, terabytes worth of information. Like it's don't like, get, I say take over the designer's computer because they're not doing anything. Dude, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. To me, it's like to me, it's like this. If I put if I put up a picture of one model, yeah. and then I put up a picture of a supermodel, you yeah. can look at the two and say, yeah, this one's better, right? Like, art can no, do that. No, I totally understand what Larry's saying. Design like, is feel. Like oh. design takes time. It takes playtesting to get it right, and most companies don't want to invest the money behind that because. They don't care. <laughs> they just want pretty pictures. Yeah, dude. I, man, I've well, they want to re- they want to redo what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I would also say, like I said with Larry, like I'll sign on half of that. There are some bad designers out there. Sure, that's I'll give you studios. That. I'll give you there's that. A, there's some, hey, but there's some bad artists too. We oh yeah. <laughs> but in, in defense of designers, have, have, they're doing Minecraft or something. We have seen these battles. <laughs> in defense of designers, though, and Brandon Fam, can you remember when we had these conversations where I was complaining, like, man, we're giving these guys gold, and what are they yeah. doing? They're yeah, shitting yeah. on us and throwing yeah, it in the yeah. trash. All yeah. of a sudden, somebody from high up is like, oh, abandoned ship, we got a course yeah. correct. Where yeah. did they go to get ideas? To yeah. the top of the trash can. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> This is great. This is gold. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. 
Okay, so it's been an hour, Alden. Uh, personally, both of us on behalf of uh, Game Dev Podcast, we want to thank you for sitting with us and giving the audience, you know, this incredible insight into Kickstartering and being lucky, being an indie artist, and you know, having it be a viable option outside of game development for you know a, an employer. Uh, so I want to reward you, or just give you the opportunity. I guess is probably the better way to put it, to just pitch talk say promote whatever it is that you want to do because you gave us an hour so the least we could do is just give you an open platform to speak to the audience of like nine people and tell them (laughs) (laughs) tell them whatever you'd like about whatever project or thing you're excited about right now um go check out into the stars on steam it's on early access and uh take part on the forums uh play the game see what you want changed or what you like about it and just Give us some feedback, or we're waiting to hear from you. Yeah, hopefully I'll get on uh, this podcast again and kind of show you some of the other projects I'm working on too later on. Oh, we'll yeah. bring you back for sure, man. You're uh, you're you're game dev unchained royalty now. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I feel like if you're in the first ten episodes, you get like a, a set for life come back anytime card. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> come back every night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, Into the Stars again with Fugitive Games. This is Alden Filion, art director for the project. And uh, I'm going to sign out first because I'm the one speaking. Larry Charles, thanks for listening. Good night. Take it away, Brandon. See you guys. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Uh, Alden was generous enough to give us his insights on Kickstarter and working in his underwear all the time and not worrying <laughs> about hygiene. So uh, thank you again and looking forward to next week's episode.